Hi there, and welcome to the Umpal.com podcast. I'm Oli, and for episode number 57, it is my pleasure to bring to you a chat with Jonathan Townsend, the man behind the company James Townsend & Son, which you can find online at jas-townsend.com. You'll find lots and lots of neat stuff over there, including some really interesting pipes. So go check it out now. Let me know what really cool stuff you picked up. Well, the Blaggery DAC pipes are all sold out, but there are some very nice No Thumbs Tom tampers still available over at oompal.com, each with vintage porcelain hand, missing the thumb of course, and a brass tamp and charred bamboo body. They won't be around forever, so grab yours while you can. Don't forget to read all about No Thumbs Tom in the musing section of oompal.com where you'll find his story and a song made in his honor that I'm sure you've probably likely heard before in your local pub where the sea shanty ritual is as lively as the spirits that ignite such choruses to even begin in the first place. Something else I'm very excited about is the upcoming Nazgul series. Only nine will be available through rockstarpipes.com. That's R-O-K-S-T-A-R pipes.com. So keep an ear out and shoot me an email if you want to be on the short list to be notified when these are about to become available. This podcast was made possible by James Townsend and Son, and I will tell you right now that is with every ounce of self-restraint that I have not to put in my second order fast on the heels of my first order for some more very cool stuff from this fine company. And the longer I wait and peruse their beautiful paper, yes, paper catalog, the longer my want list grows. But don't take my word for it. Go see for yourself while you listen along. The following podcast was recorded on February 6th, 2014. Sit back, grab a pipe, and stay a while. I hope you enjoy. With us on the line today, we have Jonathan Townsend of James Townsend and Son. Mr. Townsend, welcome to the show. Ah, thanks. So I stumbled onto James Townsend and Son one day as I was doing some research on various forms of fire starting. Every so often I like to go on these survival outings and, and fire starting methods are always really interesting to me. And I found a YouTube video of Mr. Townsend demonstrating the flint and steel kits that they sell there at James Townsend. And I was really impressed with this kit and I decided to take a look um, at the site and wow, I was just, I was really blown away by the offerings there. So for those listening along, go to jas-townsend.com so that you can follow along. If you can't follow along while you're listening, the tagline to the online shop says, where Ben Franklin would shop if he were alive today, which is which sums it up very well, I, I would say. When you go there, you will find clothing, books, kitchenware, knives, tomahawks, oak barrels, tricorn hats, all kinds of different goods that would have been found from the 1750s to about the 1840s time period. And even, and maybe most importantly for this pod, podcast, clay pipes. And so that's that's kind of where we're going to take this, at least for a little while today. So at any rate, from what I gather, this is a long-standing family business. So give me some background as to how it all started and how it has changed over the years. 
Sure. Uh, my father uh, has started uh, several different businesses over his lifetime. In his in the in the late '60s, uh, he was uh, interested in muzzleloading guns. He went to the uh, national uh, muzzleloading rifle matches down in Friendship, Indiana in the early 70s and, and late 60s and in 1973 he decided it would he saw a need for uh, lighting devices in in that uh, in that group of people uh, down there so he started a little business selling candle lanterns and um, that business sort of uh, um, uh, morphed and changed into uh, a mail order business in about 1980 or so, and, and a little bit after that, we started focusing our attention more on the Revolutionary War period, and that's what we've been doing ever since. Um, for many years, my, my sister ran the business since about 1992 or 1994. I've run the business, uh, but um, it, lots of different family members and, and friends of family work for us, uh, so it's a, it's a great little business. Wow, that is really, really fantastic. So... Um, tell me a little bit about yourself, your your interest in this era, and and maybe a little bit about the physical store that's in Pearson, Indiana, too. You know, I, I grew up in the business since uh, the business was started when I was six or seven years old. It's been a it's been something that's been in my life um, all through that time. So I grew up in it, and it's always been history's always been an an interest to uh, interesting uh, topic for me. So it's something that I, I guess I didn't have any other choice. <laughs> so you've always been in the thick of it, if you will. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I went to college for a while uh, for electrical engineering, but I ended up coming back to this uh, because somebody needed to take over the business. So here I am. And the physical store there in, in Pearson, how long has that been there? Um, we worked out of our home until 1987, um, and then we bought a couple of small buildings or a couple of downtown buildings in a, in a small town uh, here in northern Indiana, and, and we've been in these buildings ever since. Excellent. I, I really love looking through your paper catalog, too. It came very quickly. It's very nicely done with tons of great stuff inside. With such a massive inventory, I'm sure you have customers all over the world. Tell me a little bit about your customer base now and how that's because, you know, like you said, it started off as um, the muzzle loading crowd only. And it's it's just gotten so much more since those days. Would you say that most of your customers nowadays are reenactors? Uh, by quantity, yeah. Most of our customers are reenactors. We also sell a lot to historic sites. Um, state and federal historic sites, Colonial Williamsburg, things like that. We sell a, a good portion of things to TV shows and movies, too. Um, we do have customers all over the world. Um, the majority of them are, are European. Uh, we sell some things to some guys in Russia and all kinds of things. So we, you never know, you know who's going to be ordering tomorrow. So what's... What's one of your most interesting sales to date that you can remember? Probably one of the most interesting things for me when I see it on the back side is uh, for a while I did pottery. That's one of the things that, that I end up uh, doing is developing a lot of products and, and uh, doing a lot of different kinds of things. And so 
Um, at one point, I did um, some pottery, and when the when they were working on uh, the movie called The Patriot, uh, back with Mel Gibson, uh, they they ordered up some ink wells, and and one of my ink wells ended up on the screen, so that was kind of fun. Oh wow! Um, Very so, cool. You know, weird things like that. Yeah, that's great. Tell me about the pipes that you offer and um, any history that you can put in there. Who makes them, how they're made, and the materials used? Uh, the pipes we make are based off of uh, pipes that were originally made in the um, uh, 17, like 50s, 60s, and later on uh, in um, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, North Carolina, There was a um, Moravian settlement in that area, and a potter came in in the uh, in the mid 18th century, and he started doing all kinds of different pottery projects. One of the things he was making, uh, one of the things he brought with him from Pennsylvania and probably back further from Germany were pipe molds. And so he made the the kind of pipes that we make, which are um, clay pipes with made for a, a replaceable stem. They would make uh, probably in Europe they used wooden stems. Uh, here, there's uh, reeds that grow that, that make a very good stem. Uh, bamboo works very similarly. So these kind of pipes um, were made in Europe before that. There's, there's some research that points to late 17th century designs that are very similar. And, um, and so those are the, the pipes that we make are based off of that sort of design. And most of those pipes um, are designed, you know, basically by me. I'll make up a master uh, pipe and then and then create a mold. The pipes are pressed uh, pipes. They aren't. Um, another way you would you could make them would be uh, slip casting, but that's not the kind of uh, process that they used in the time period. So we make a press mold where you actually have a um, a hard mold like um. um in the, originally, they were usually uh, steel or brass molds. Our molds are actually made out of, um, you know, like fiberglass. But um, you you uh, put in a, a soft um, clay um, blob in into the mold, and then you uh, squeeze it down with a, uh, a um, uh, something that presses the 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 clay into place, and then you you take out the, the finished pipe, and then it has a whole bunch of drying and finishing you have to do and firing uh, when you're done with it. And they're made right here on the premises. We have a, a pottery uh, studio down in the basement, and and um, sometimes I make them. Usually I've got another guy who uh, presses out all the uh, pipes. And what kind of what kind of clay is that that's used? Is it, does it have to be a specific kind, I'm guessing? Uh, you know, we use uh, regular stoneware kind of clays that we would use for other projects like our inkwells or or um, um, redware pipe plates and things like that. So it's not a super special clay that we use. Uh, we usually do fire them pretty hot, and so they ended up they end up being a little harder than uh, some of the the pipes. So that they're they're pretty resilient. It can take a a little bit of damage. Earlier uh, pipes, you're probably thinking of the the pipes with the you know the clay stems that are long. Those did use a very specific clay from 
from Great Britain, a very white, um, uh, very smooth clay, but we use the standard um, uh, stoneware clay so that they can be fired up to a harder temperature. Interesting. Um, I had to get one of your pipes for my collection, and I'm I'm very pleased with it. I've seen clay pipes before, but not quite like these. Um, <clears throat> and I know that uh, you talked about the reed stem a little bit. Do those vary? It looks like you use a, a type of bamboo now, and what what got you to use that specific um, stem? The reeds that grow locally right here aren't the walls aren't thick enough to make a good substantial stem, and so we went with something that we could get um, a large quantity of, and so that's why we use the bamboo down south, Louisiana. Uh, places like that, you're going to get a um, a reed that's got a, a thicker stem, and they would probably work much better. Even in uh, North Carolina, where the where the uh, where they were originally made, probably has a much thicker stem. Um, but it's hard to get people to go out and harvest a bunch of uh, stems for us. So right. <laughs> we end up using what's easiest for us to get. Well, they they look great, and um, uh, I'm super happy with mine. Um, I see that your booklet, Making Fire with Flint and Steel, includes tips on lighting a pipe with flint and steel as well. And I think this would be a, a really great demo at the big Chicago Pipe Show that happens in early May, if you happen to find yourself in the vicinity. I don't know if, if you might be able to make it there one day, but wow, that would be super cool. Yeah, one of the other products that's very it's kind of connected with that same thing is in the in the 17th century Dutch paintings, you you see these uh, special little bowls uh, that they would be having setting on the tables, and they would be full of coals, just waiting for people to light their pipes. We actually sell the little bowl that's just for that pipe lighting process. And they also use them for braziers to keep you know you warm your hands on or warm your feet on, but it's one of those one of the things they're called as pipe lighting bowls. Interesting. I'll have to look into the history of that as well. That's that's fascinating. There's just so many uh, so many different avenues that that you can go down. Especially when I am looking through your your catalog, there's just a, a million different things. Do you regularly smoke a pipe? No, I don't. I've never um, been a, a smoker of any sort, and I I don't even do a lot of drinking or anything like that. I do have. The, the guy who does the catalog work, he has been a pipe smoker in the past, uh, but it's not something I do. So you don't require your employees to smoke pipes and drink rum while they're working? No, it's it's not a requirement, <laughs> although you know, if that's what they want to do, I don't have any problem with it. <laughs> Remind me to forward an application after this is over. <laughs> that's fantastic. Is there is there one product or a group of products that seem to sell better than the others hands down um we don't have one that's that's a real standout our clothing in general does you know all the clothing that we sell our period clothing is all made uh, locally here and that's about half of half of what we sell and the rest of what we sell is just all those you know personal goods like pipes and watches do you ever do you ever steer someone in the right direction when they're mixing eras, or um, are you pretty easygoing about that? 
Well, I mean, I'll definitely uh, help people make uh, some decisions. We actually do a lot of um, video work, and, and um, we have some videos that help people decide, you know, what goes with what, um, putting together outfits. There's definitely uh, some things that don't go together. Um, and so, you know, if people ask us, we certainly help steer them in the right direction. Do you go to many reenactments yourself? You know, we used to do a lot of reenactments, uh, reenactments, but we just don't have the time. We're so busy doing what we do uh, that it's hard for us to go out to a lot of events. We do about four events a year right now, um, just just a few, and normally they're just in this area, so it's hard for us to get out a lot. And tell me about how the how they work. I, I've never actually been to one, so how are they structured? Like what what happens during them? I'm guessing that maybe there's a, a few demos throughout the day or something like that. But but basically, how are how are the um, reenactments structured? Well, every event's different, and we help people that do a lot of different kinds of events. Many of them are military oriented, so that you'll have a military camp. And they will, you know, do uh, military drills or even little mock battles. Um, and then some of them are much more um, civilian-oriented, just people doing uh, things. They'll, you know, maybe they will have tavern setups or they'll do dances in the evening. So there, it's almost like saying every event is different. You never know what you're what you're going to get. So uh, I'll, I'll tell you right now, if I was in your position. I would never again wear what I would call regular clothes. You you would not catch me without my tricorn hat on for sure. It, so, and if you asked me what jeans were, I I wouldn't have a clue. So my question is, do you ever wear regular clothes because you have every excuse not to? Yeah, I'm sorry. I wear regular clothes, even though we have a special video about uh, you know uh, what what wearing funny clothes all the time. We don't do that. Um, because you know we want to blend in sometimes. I mean, it it is fun to go out dressed, especially when you're going to an event. You'll you know you you'll go you'll drive to the event dressed up, and you know you stop at the gas station, you're pumping gas, and people are asking you <laughs> questions. It is definitely a conversation starter. Yeah, I, yeah, I would guess someone dressed as as you know someone from 1750s or so pumping gas would look kind of kind of strange, and and I would want to see what that was about for sure. So you, you actually do wear regular clothes from time to time. That's, that's, I'm amazed. I, I don't I think, know. I, I know it probably makes you sad, doesn't it? I don't it, know. I'm it sorry. Yeah, yeah, I think I do. I have a, a tear or two welling up, but we'll get past it. It'll be okay. Um, what is the most fun part about this whole thing for you? For me, I have a lot of fun doing research and developing products, learning new uh, skills. And, you know, I'm always working on something new, um, doing lots and lots of, of period research, looking at pictures, you know, reading books, uh, trying to figure out the material culture for the time and the evolution of of what we use, you know, so whether it's how candle lanterns change or, you know, more pipes change for that matter. Uh, lots of 
that's the kind of work that I enjoy doing. And I also like working with customers. We do a lot of you know video production. So there's just about I get to do basically anything I I want to do. It's kind of fun. It's like I you know hey I think I'm gonna go research this thing or you know something else. I think I'm gonna learn how to. Right now I'm I'm into playing around with glass blowing. So you just never know what's going to be next. Wow. So um, besides the glass blowing, which which sounds like is a, a relatively new thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, is there something that in the past at least you, you've really um, been more into than than something else? Like, where you do you do a lot of sewing, or do you do a lot of um, clay work, or something like that? Yeah, I have done a lot of clay work in the past. Um, Normally, you know, once you kind of learn it all or you learn all the things you really intended to go, it kind of, you know, slips by the wayside. Um, I do a lot of boating. I do, you know, I have I have a lot of different uh, interests. They all end up kind of getting related to the same thing, though. They all go back to historical uh, roots. What is one of the biggest misconceptions about the era that you know so much about? I think one of the main misconceptions is, is that in the time period uh, that, you know, 200 years ago, that, that so many things were very, very plain, very, very simplistic. And, uh, you know, everybody dressed in browns because they didn't have any ability to have bright colors. And, uh, you know, there there is some of that going on in the time period, but there's a great large scale of, you know, from very poor people to very rich people, from very simple simple things to uh, very amazing things that were available in the time period. And so I think uh, so many people get stuck in this sort of, you know, oh, they were bare skins and bone knives and, you know, uh, everything has to be extremely crude when that isn't necessarily the, the case. And, and some people had some amazingly, you know, beautiful and wonderful things that they were able to do even in in that time period, and and some things they were able to accomplish that even we would have trouble with affording or or being able to do. So there's there's some interesting things about that. Give me an example of one of those things that is, you know, something that might be very elaborate that would be either hard to make today or or hard to come by today that that you may have seen um, back then in in the richer area. Well, even today, um, I'm sure that I would have a hard time finding anybody uh, to put in the work to make an 18th century uh, watch. In the 18th century, watches were a um, were a status symbol. They were the iPhone of the day or whatever. In fact, some people, they would have maybe two watches on them just to show off um, how how richer, uh, you know, the neat things they had. And making a watch in, you know, a, a watch like they made in the 18th century, all these parts by hand um, is pretty amazing. And they had broken that those skills down so that there were some people that just made the chains, and I mean the, like the little gear chains, inside the watches. That's all they did all day long was just make the chains that go inside of watches if, very, very crazy. Wow. Um, name a few movies that got it right and maybe a few movies that could have used a little bit more help. Well, I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I would call out any movies and say, 
you know that was really really good um the while i don't care for the content that much the barry linden movie uh, was was amazing you know done back in the, i don't know whether that was in the 70s or 80s um there's not many movies you know really get it right but i don't necessarily watch movies for their historical content i watch them to have fun so i'm pretty good at you know kind of putting that kind of stuff aside and saying i, I want to be entertained by this movie i'm not going to use it for you know for research i wouldn't watch the pirates of the caribbean and say yeah that's exactly the way they did it right. <laughs> uh, but it's uh but they can be fun anyway uh, right. master and commander is probably one i would put on the they they probably they did pretty well one of the things that's tough with movies is the um, the way people think. And, you know, while they may get all the outfits right and uh, all those, you know, all the uh, jots and tills right on, on you know, his um, what his horse was like or, you know, his outfit, uh, the way that people are thinking, uh, I think they probably get wrong most of the time. Interesting. But, so there, do you get pretty frustrated being the history buff that you are sometimes when when you'll see something that they, oh man that it's that would have never happened it would have happened probably like this instead or you know even if it may have happened like that he wouldn't have done what he did he wouldn't have said the things he said he wouldn't have been thinking those kinds of ways so right I, I you know we carry in with us so many modern ideas um that they they just weren't working from so it was an entirely different culture right right that period. if you had a bar inside your store what kind of alcoholic beverages would be period appropriate uh, beers were very popular in the time period. Beer for breakfast. Uh, children drank beer. Um, so beer is, is a, a very good um, alcoholic beverage for, for the time period. Maybe not quite the, you know, the super hoppy beers that we have today. but um, um, So beer is something that's very common. I think even, I think Ben Franklin talked about, I think uh, small beer was one of his favorite breakfast um, things so beer is common um, gin was just coming in and and being very very uh, popular and culturally detrimental there in the mid 18th century um, and rum of course is is perfectly suitable so there, there's a lot of interesting uh, places to go with spirits in the 18th century who are a few of your heroes from this era and why you know, I, I think um, so many of of the the founders of our country in that in that time period were amazing thinkers, um, and you know, none of them got it totally right. Of course, you know, how do we know we've got it right? But none, none of them seem to have it, you know, totally right. They they put together a, an incredible system, and um, I I look at all those kind of folks and say, you know, the, the, those are amazing people to look up with. Of course, you know, 200 years goes by, so we kind of, you know, uh, maybe let all the bad things 
you know, kind of uh, erase and and see only the good parts of those historical characters. But uh, no, I, I don't have any particular one that I would I would uh, necessarily point out. I'm not a great uh, historian in the uh, political realm. I'm mostly in that kind of material culture and what's going on with the things, and not necessarily the the people as much. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, well, I certainly hope that that you'll start selling your wares at at pipe shows. The Chicago show it's it's right at Pheasant Run in St. Charles, so it's not too far away from you. I I don't think, and I think that your pipes, not to mention all the other great stuff that you could bring, uh, would be a really fantastic addition to the offerings there. I'm sure it'd be fun. Well, Mr. Townsend, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy day to chat with me today. I love your wares and the fact that you keep. You're keeping this this interest in our past alive and well. Many, many thanks, sir. Okay. Hey, thanks for inviting. And that was my chat with Jonathan Townsend of James Townsend & Son. The bit about the potter moving in from Pennsylvania was just a great little morsel, wasn't it? And, you know, probably bringing that stuff over from Germany. How cool. Um, You know, whenever we congregate, wherever we settle, wherever it is we go, we bring our pipes along. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Don't forget this podcast was made possible by those good folks over at James Townsend & Son. I suggest you not only look at their online presence, but order one of their paper catalogs as well. You will not be disappointed. Let me know what you get. Great stuff over there. This is Ole for Oompal.com, wishing you very good luck deciding which pressed clay pipe from James Townsend & Son will be next in your collection. Thank you.